Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. The phone number, should you wish to be a part of this year program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, we're about to tread on some dangerous ground. <clears throat> now, so I started in uh, radio, WSB Radio in Atlanta, officially. And after I got started, I started filling in for some national shows. And interestingly enough, uh, the first time I ever filled in for Rush Limbaugh, I happened to mention a story about abortion and was called aside after the show and was admonished that's not really a topic to talk about on radio unless it's immediately relevant because... Uh, there are a lot of people who aren't pro-life who listen to conservative talk, and there are a lot of people who are who, frankly, really don't care about the issue and don't want to be reminded of it. And it was suggested to me that uh, this was an issue where kind of needed not to talk about the issue. I was actually surprised. Uh, Rush actually told me, ignore the advice. Uh, talk about it if I wanted to talk about it. But it is a topic, uh, even among conservative radio that a lot of people on conservative radio, they don't actually talk about it. Uh, you listen uh, to conservative talk, and you're not going to hear a ton about it. To this weekend, however, happens to be the March for Life. And it is an issue about which I care greatly. And it is an issue that I think is an issue that we should be reminded of on occasion as a lot of conservatives make their way to Washington, D.C. And they march in favor of life at a time it is looking more and more that Roe versus Wade could come to an end. I actually think the NPR Washington Post slate hit job on Neil Gorsuch has a lot to do with the Dobbs case. Uh, the Supreme Court yesterday allowed the Texas abortion law to continue to go into effect. Uh, they, they would not send it back to the original district judge who killed it. I want to at least explain to people who don't understand why do so many conservatives, particularly Christians, care about this issue. I, I want to at least provide for you some context and history because uh, some people with an agenda badly, badly, badly try to distort this history and claim this isn't something Christians cared about. To be clear. After the Roe v. Wade decision in the 1970s, it really wasn't something that American evangelicals cared about. Even Billy Graham didn't really care about abortion. It was actually the Catholic Church that forced the issue. It was the Catholic Church in the United States and globally that forced Protestant evangelicals to care about abortion. You have to begin in the book of Luke, really, in the first chapter of Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, 
you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You will conceive. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, in other words, Mary would conceive, and at that moment, there would be life. There would be life. And that, in fact, is the basis for the Christian belief that the soul indwells the fetus at the moment of conception. There are arguments on when life begins, but those arguments are political arguments. They're not scientific arguments. Scientifically, uh, at conception, life begins. You may think it's non-viable life. You may think it's life outside of the human form we know, but it is inarguably life. And according to Scripture, it is at that moment that the indwelling of the spirit, the indwelling of the soul begins. So fast forward just 100 years. Do you know where the word abortion comes from? It's actually derived from Latin, aborior. Aborior means to pass away, to disappear, to be lost. Do you know what it's slang for? Do you know what it's slang for? The trash heap. Do you know why the Latin Roman Empire used aborior as a slang for the trash heap? Because do you know how abortions happened in the Roman Empire? The woman would give birth to the child and then carry it to the trash heap, the aborior, where the child was aborted, cast away, lost, made to disappear in the trash heap. That's where the word comes from. I'm not making that up. A lot of people like to revise that. And you know one of the distinctions of the early Christian community, the early Christian community, we're talking 100 years from the death of Christ. They, the Christians, the early Christians, would walk to the trash heaps, to the caves and caverns and catacombs where the infants were deposited to die, to be aborted, and they, the early Christians, would take those children home. There was a famous letter of a Roman centurion to his son on uh, how to be a man. And one of the things was that if he got a girl pregnant who was not in the family to which he was going to be married, not to worry. They could cast the child onto the abori. And perhaps if he was feeling guilty that the child was going to die, not to worry that those freaks, the Christians, would probably rescue that child anyway and claim it as their own. And that's what happened. In some of the letters among the Roman emperors and the uh, prefects on what to do with these weird Christians, one of the reasons that the Christians were persecuted by the Romans was because they would rescue these children, these deformities. You see, the rule in the early, early Rome before even the Roman Empire, back at the time of the Roman kings, see, before the Republic, there were kings of Rome. And one of the early edicts was that a child could not be killed before three years of age. Think about that. A child could be killed if they were older than three, but if they were younger than three, they couldn't be killed unless they were deformed. 
And then you could kill the child, and if you couldn't bring it to kill the child, leave the child at the abori, at the trash heap. Over time, deformity was twisted in word choice. And deformity also meant unwanted. So an unwanted child was a deformed child, and Roman law said deformed children could be killed or cast away on the trash heap, and so the Romans would begin casting away unwanted children, claiming they were deformed because they were unwanted. And the Christians would collect the children. And the Christians, as a result, began to be persecuted. Now, some make an economic argument on on the Christians here that the reason they uh, brought out the kids and raised them as their own is they needed expanded families due to Roman persecution. So many Christians would die, uh, that they needed new blood, and so they would convert these, grab these babies and raise them as children of within the church, and it would expand the church, and so as they died from persecution. It's not really the case. The reason they did this was out of charity, And out of charity from the idea of the gospel of Luke that the spirit indwelled on Christ at the moment of conception. If you could abort Christ, you could abort him filled with the spirit of God. Abortion was therefore wrong. Abortion, therefore, as a matter of charity, meant these children had to be rescued. And thus the church, the Christian church, since its conception, has believed that life begins at conception. And since the very early church immediately after the death of the apostles was already out in the trash heaps collecting the children meant to be aborted. Life is precious. We are all created in the image of the living God, whether we believe in him or not. And the Christians were committed to that. Fast forward 2,000 years. In Washington, D.C. this weekend, Pro-life supporters will gather to march for life. Pro-lifers will gather and they will march and they will pray and they will be heckled. They will be bullied. They will be chastised. They will be insulted. Some of them will be spit upon by those who don't value life or believe in the protection of the right to kill the child. The media elevates the voices of the pro-choice, pro-abortion movement. You know, when I was at CNN, they would ask me to come on to talk about this stuff. I had a policy where I would give them a list of names of a variety of pro-life women. Say, put them on. None of them would ever get called. The media shapes the abortion debate, oftentimes subconsciously. You will see a man on who is pro-life, debating a woman who is pro-choice. And the woman will claim the man wants to control her body. The pro-life movement, overwhelmingly in Washington, has women in charge. Overwhelmingly, women are in charge. In fact, almost every pro-life organization in Washington, D.C. is helmed by women. But the media is very willful in shaping the optics that it's a bunch of men who want to control women's bodies. It's actually the historic history of the Christian church, men and women, rescuing children from certain death. 
because of their belief that life begins at conception. And it is the Catholic Church in this country that prodded the evangelical community to get involved in this issue at a time the evangelical community really didn't care. And since then, what has happened? A majority of Americans consider themselves pro-life. A majority of Americans may not support a complete ban on abortion, but overwhelmingly support massive restrictions on abortion, particularly after 15 weeks. And this year could see the end of Roe v. Wade. Now, the end of Roe v. Wade really doesn't mean much because no state really has strict abortion laws, as strict as some would have you believe. Some have, well, fetal heartbeat bans after seven weeks and stuff like that, and they were all passed by a bunch of Republicans who knew the courts would dismiss them and the law. It made it easy for them to vote for stuff because a lot of Republicans are not as pro-life as they claim. But a lot of progressive states already support abortion rights and will continue to support abortion rights. And should Roe v. Wade be reversed by the Dobbs case out of California, those states will continue to have abortion. In fact, California politicians have suggested they will start a fund for women in other states who want abortions. They'll pay your airfare and hotel and fly you over so you can kill your kid. And we shouldn't dance around the euphemism. Abortion is killing a child, typically by cracking open their head and vacuuming out their brain and then ripping them piece to piece, scraping them out of their mother's womb. That, that's what an abortion is. I mean, I like that description, but that's the truth of it. And so people in Washington are marching this weekend in protest of that procedure. They will be mocked. And many people will come forward and say, well, this is kind of a new thing. The church was never really committed to that. And I would remind you, the actual history books, not the revised history books, the actual history books would tell you since the beginning of the Christian church, Christians have been going into the Roman abhorries, the Roman trash heaps, the Roman dumps, the Roman catacombs and rescuing children and raising them in the church. And 2,000 years later, we're no longer storming into the trash heaps or the catacombs to save the children. Instead, we're marching in Washington, D.C., urging the Supreme Court to stop taking the morality of Harvard Yard and imposing it on 350 million Americans. But let us, the people, through our legislatures, decide whether we agree with this moral abomination. Many Americans will say they do, but a lot of us don't. And we'll at least be able to shape the laws in our states to protect the unborn. But more importantly, in doing so, the fight really only just begins. It's one thing to have a culture of life to support the unborn. But what about the children in foster care? What about the children who need to be adopted? What about the children and families that are starving? What about the children and families that are falling behind? What about the children who are in families that are so poor that they can't give their kids a leg up? A culture of life needs to be more than just fighting against Roe v. Wade, it's got to actually be about helping whole families. And that means conservatives can't be libertarians, that at some point you do have to have a social safety net, whether it's from the church or the government, to step up and help everybody perpetuate that culture of life. And they'll be talking about that too this weekend in Washington, even though the media probably will choose not to cover any of that. I want to cut corners and just get to the chase. A lot of you hear podcast ads and radio ads for Bull and Branch, and you're thinking, eh, 
They're just telling you it because they're getting paid. I'm actually telling you it because I'm a customer. We actually have Bowling Brand sheets. And yes, they are an ad. Yes, this is an ad. But yes, I really am a customer. I only like to do ads for companies that I really like. And I love Bowling Branch. So does my wife. My wife actually heard the ads and she wanted to try the sheets. And now they are the sheets in our house. Bowling Branch does not cut corners. They make super soft, wonderful sheets. They use the softest organic cotton they can find. They get better with every wash. They soften and soften and soften. And they only use 100% sustainable raw materials. They're the first fair trade certified manufacturer of linen. You can feel as good about your Bowling Branch sheets as they feel against your skin. They are so soft. They don't get too hot. They don't get too cold. They're just great. And every wash improves them. That, I'm telling you, is one of the coolest things about these sheets. It's like sleeping on a new bed every time you wash the sheets. It's great. Now, you can experience the best sheets you've ever felt at BowlinBranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com, promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson here. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, they can help your small business become a big business. Uh, what you can do is reach out to them at firstlibertyga.com. Spend a couple minutes with them on the phone. See if you're a good fit for them and them for you. And they want to help your business grow. They can help you get to yes, where a lot of banks are saying no. Uh, and they may be in Georgia, but they can help you nationwide. Let's go to the phones. Bill has been waiting very patiently. Bill, welcome. Thank you, Eric. Uh, David Perdue is running against Kemp. I voted for David. Every time he's run for anything, I will be voting against him. I have two questions. Number one, does he realize that all the good things he's done will not be what he's remembered for if Stacey Abrams gets in there? He'll be remembered as the man who put Stacey Abrams in office. And my second question is, do you think that if the polling is bad enough, during the primaries that he will drop out early. Uh, listen, I, I no, I don't think he'll drop out early because of pride and all of that. Um, it, it's interesting to me. I was actually talking to a reporter last night. I find it very interesting that the Purdue campaign has had to leak internal polling to try to build a narrative, and the Kemp team isn't telling people what their internal polling is. And uh, the Purdue team was, well, that means it's bad. No, I, I, when your internal polling is good and you're not having to leak it and brag about it, it suggests you're actually in the poll position and the person who's manufacturing supposedly internal polls to be public is the person who's kind of desperate. I also think it's interesting Purdue is now out there pretty aggressively attacking Brian Kemp when he said he'd run a positive campaign. It wasn't about Brian Kemp. He would stay positive. The fact that he's releasing his internals to make them public to generate news stories and he's now on offense attacking Kemp regularly really suggests he's coming from behind and that his polling, despite what they claimed it shows, doesn't actually show what they claim that it shows. Uh, listen, if David Perdue gives us Stacey Abrams and, and him doing this increases the odds of Abrams being governor, I definitely think his legacy is going to be tarnished. But what does he care? He lives in a gated community that is in another gated community that is in a private island. So he can insulate himself from all the criticisms and the rest of us will have to live with the fallout of it. That's that's the problem here. Um, I just that that's it's such my frustration with this is Brian Kemp is probably going to win the nomination. And you know what the, the, the Purdue supporters are saying is, well, you know, he can't beat Abrams because we're going to stay home. 
Uh, if, if that's the way you're going to play, the only way to do this is to really burn it down and start over and not with you guys. Uh, we got to stop Stacey Abrams. The only person running for governor in Georgia who has ever beaten Stacey Abrams is a guy named Brian Kemp. And guess what? He's running again. As much as I like David Perdue, he could not beat John Ossoff, who's a worse candidate than Abrams. I don't see how the math works on that for him. I really don't. And I would stick with Brian Kemp. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Let's go back to the phones. Arthur's been waiting patiently. Welcome. Hey, good to talk to you again. Uh, You started the show talking about control of the language, and then you moved to abortion. And uh, I lived in, I lived in, I want to tie those two together a little bit. I lived in Virginia for about 10 years and moved back to Atlanta. And a couple of years ago, Virginia changed its abortion law. And I heard, uh, I heard on the news that it allowed, uh, and I couldn't believe it when I heard it, it allowed the baby to be born and set aside. And then the mother and her doctor could decide whether to keep it alive. Uh, so that's not a late term abortion. That's an after birth abortion. But anyway, I couldn't believe it. I just absolutely said, no, somebody's got to be lying to me. So I went to uh, the Georgia website, or the Virginia website, pulled up the legislation, and lo and behold, it was true. Now, let me tie it into controlling the language. They didn't call the, uh, they used the term product of the abortion, not fetus, not baby, not child, product of the abortion. I kid you not, you can look it up. Um, and I was, I was just, I was just aghast. I, you know, I've seen a lot of things. I know how things work, but that was just a little bit over the top for me. So, so let, let me explain this one, that. Arthur. The, the, I, I need to explain the context of this one because people, they're going to think you're nuts here uh, and you're not. Um, so Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia was on an interview show over abortion issues and said that if a it was about uh, children who were the products of abortion who survived the abortion. And Ralph Northam's position was that if a child is intended to be aborted and survives the abortion, then the mother should be allowed to decide with her doctor whether or not to finish the abortion after the child is out of the womb and living or allow the child to live. Uh, he denied it afterwards, but it was on video. I, I was trying to see. I used to have the audio here, and, and I can't find it at the moment. But that's what he actually said, and that is what uh, the Democrats in Virginia set the law to be, and that's what it is in a number of states. Uh, now, this came about because Congress had been debating the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. The Born Alive Infant Protection Act was around the country. Uh, a number of states passed laws that said if a child who is to be aborted is actually born alive, the child should get medical care. This came out of that uh, case in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia where the doctor was inducing births in mothers and having the women, and y'all, I'm sorry if this upsets y'all. I, I, I'm, I, I don't mean to upset you here, but this is the God's honest truth of what was happening. This doctor was inducing abortions in women and having them sit on toilets to deliver and then flushing 
the child if it was small enough to go down the drain still or letting it drown if not. And that's how Kermit Gosnell, that's what it was. That's how abortions, among other ways, were being um, performed. And several nurses came forward and said they saw the doctor actually perform, induce deliveries of children, and then kill the children after they were born. Horrifying, gruesome stuff. The man wound up going to prison. It was beyond dispute that he was actually um, in some ways performing abortion where the women would give birth to a healthy child, not induced with chemicals to cause an abortion, but actually given the drugs to induce an actual live birth and then would kill the child once the child was born. And that's how abortions were being done. Now, Barack Obama, this came to a head because when Barack Obama was a senator in Illinois, Illinois was considering the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. Barack Obama rarely ever spoke in the Illinois Senate. And Barack Obama, as a state senator in Illinois, defended the doctor's right to decide whether or not to allow the child to live or die. That if a child was born, we should trust the doctor to take the proper action. And we should not require medical care. This became a congressional issue, and ultimately, you know, Ralph Northam was a doctor, and Ralph Northam was on the side of allowing children to be born and then decide whether or not to kill them. Uh, and it is, it's something that overwhelmingly a majority of Americans are opposed to. This, uh, Just so you understand, the Born Alive Infant Protection Act polls at about 70% of women support it. The idea that if a child is born... When attempting an abortion, that the child should get medical care to live. Over 70% of women in this country support that law. Uh, Democrats have blocked it repeatedly. And at the state level, progressive governors have signed legislation that as long as there is no federal law overarching, uh, they, they would allow the murder of the child to go forward. Keep in mind, Barbara Boxer, who used to be a U.S. senator from, from California, her stated public position was that until the child leaves the hospital, the mother should be allowed to decide whether or not the child lives or dies. That That's pretty much, I'm not paraphrasing, that's pretty much her exact words. And that's what we're dealing with in the country. And that's why they're marching in Washington this weekend. Uh, if Roe v. Wade goes away, you know, there's a there's a belief, a, a, a lie the media has perpetuated that if Roe v. Wade ends, abortion rights are over in this country. That's not really true. What happens is it goes back to the states and the individual states decide. And so there will be some states like, for example, California, New York, Illinois, Oregon, Washington, Virginia, even with Glenn Youngkin, uh, where abortion will be on demand at all times until birth. Other states, however, will crack down on it. I don't know that every state, every right-wing state will ban abortion outright. I'm pretty sure they won't. And then in those states that do, there's a big divide over life of the mother and also rape and incest. Uh, some people believe very passionately that there should be no exception for rape and incest, that a, a woman should carry the child to term. Others say it's a compassion issue on the mental health of the of the woman to allow her to have that abortion. Uh, and those will be messy, messy uh, arguments that states will have to decide and pro-abortion advocates will capitalize on those divisions uh, to try to build their case. And one thing I guarantee you will happen, I guarantee you this will happen. What you will see is a lot of Republicans who for years have campaigned as pro-lifers 
will finally be exposed as not really. They knew they could get away with it because the Supreme Court would throw out the law so they could vote for it with no consequence. And now suddenly there will be consequence and they won't vote for it. All right, to the phones we go. Gail, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hi. Hi. I wanted to just tell you, um, my great-granddaughter, who I have custody of, was born at 24 weeks. She weighed 17 ounces, and according to the doctor, she was not viable. But if the mother signed a form, then they would resuscitate if necessary. And she was addicted to opioids at birth. Um, I shamed my granddaughter into signing that paper. And now she is the most beautiful, vibrant, smart little eight-year-old girl. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. And, you know, Gail, I'm, I'm glad you said that as well, because, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to talk about it the other day, but I was surprised the New York Times did a story on how so many of the genetic testing done to determine whether or not a child in utero uh, will have abnormalities, birth defects, genetic disorders. Turns out 80% of those tests are wrong. Um, right. When they when they say that a child, for example, that the I forget what the exact test is for Down syndrome that 80% of the time when the test says that the child will have Down syndrome, turns out the test is wrong. Uh, And we have an entire culture that has engaged in a level of cover-up to advance the abortion agenda. And, uh, you know, your great-grandchild now, 24 weeks, is now eight years old. And for years, the abortion industry tried to suppress medical advances to sustain the life of children born that young. Because one of the founding principles of Roe v. Wade was that in, in after the first trimester, then you could begin to restrict it. And Casey overruled that to the viability stage. So when a child would be viable outside the womb, you can regulate. And so we've made these amazing advances uh, for preemies, uh, but it took a long time because of the abortion industry lobbying the medical industry not to make those advances because of the Casey standards. So thank you for calling and sharing. 24 weeks. Wow. What a blessing. It really is. I, I, I do kind of wonder. So, you know, I, I random wild card thing here. Um, I was in a discussion with two friends of mine the other night. So I, I have a friend, Chris who repeatedly sits outside at his fire pit and then texts my buddy Jeremy and me and says, oh, pity y'all aren't here. We need to do this sometime. And he does this all the time, premeditated, sitting around the the fire pit, uh, rubbing it in with the rest of us. But we were text messaging, theological discussion the other day about advances. Uh, If we had not had the fall of man, uh, would we have teleportation and, and warp engines in the USS Enterprise and stuff like that? Uh, how advanced would we have been if we didn't have sin cloud in our lives and the fall and all of that? And and he pointed out, you know, a lot of major advances of society came about because of war and and death and, and plague. And to some degree, that is true, uh, but it's not always true. There have been periods in history where advances came because of the quest for exploration the quest to get ahead. 
And a lot of that, you know, the British Empire, very famously for a very long time, uh, within the British Empire, they opposed advances in technology. You know, steam engines were actually built hundreds of years before the Industrial Revolution, and they were stamped out by governments because they didn't know what they would do with the workforces if the workforces uh, were made more efficient. What would you do with all those people who needed jobs? A lot of technical advances in American and world history were stamped out early on because of uh, the innovators would innovate in such a way as to bring efficiencies to the market that would then displace workers. And in displacing the workers, the government was scared. What do you do with all these unemployed people? Where do they go? And ultimately, over time, because of the advances of the British Empire and the need to stay ahead of the French and the Spanish, the British government policies over time shifted towards the innovators. And that was to a degree distilled within uh, the American enterprise as we were a new nation at first standing with the status quo, but very rapidly shifting to the innovators. We needed to innovate because we needed to get ahead of now the British Empire that could come back to try to take us over again. So that's why the Industrial Revolution really exploded in Britain and then in the United States more than other places because we were done. You know, the, the word uh, sabotage, some say, comes from the French word sabot. Uh, in the early days of the Industrial Revolution with these mechanical uh, wheels, that could make production go faster, the French workers would throw their shoes, the sabots, into the gears to break them uh, so that they could stay at work. They were afraid of losing their jobs. Sabotage. Uh, that's I did learn that from Star Trek, by the way. <laughs> Nonetheless, there's a point there. So when you get into medical care and early life care, one of the interesting things is how much progress we did not make until the last decade or so because of the Casey decision before the Supreme Court, which said uh, you can begin regulating abortion at the stage of viability. And so there was a whole consensus on the social left that we should never make advances on viability or you could wind up scaling back the gains of Casey and Roe. And yet we have. And now you have children born uh, in preemie stages, younger and younger, and they can survive and are viable. And a lot of work done to make that happen because of a culture of life. And we should praise those medical advances, but also note how hard we got to them given how much the abortion industry wants to use science to perpetuate death. One of the organizations that funds the pro-life cause to help these advances is a company you're by now familiar with through the show called Patriot Mobile. They give a portion of their profits to support the pro-life cause, including the March for Life this weekend. Uh, they support the Second Amendment. They support veterans and first responders. Uh, and they do it by getting you guys to recognize doing business with a company that shares your values is worthwhile. They share your values. They're Christian. They're conservative. They're not woke by any sort stretch of the imagination. They want you to do business with them and help them grow, and then they can use the profits to fund the causes you care about. And you can get free activation with them, by going to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, you get free activation, patriotmobile.com slash Eric, or you can call them 972-PATRIOT. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service. 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. Don't worry about the service. You can go on their website, patriotmobile.com. See their coverage. You get 5G. You get data. You get voice. They use the towers everybody else uses, so you don't have to worry about getting uh, less than great service with them. They're a good company. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. 
Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. I hope you are having a great day and the weather is better wherever you are than it is for me. My goodness gracious. It's just, it's one of those just gross days out there. All right. We got other stuff to talk about. ESPN is not going to send reporters to China for the Olympics. Uh, they're saying, I'm starting to think it's got to be more than COVID for some of this stuff. Uh, they they are saying that um, uh, they're, they're not sending any reporters to China because of COVID and because of China's strict policy about those who test positive. Now, brace yourselves, folks. Brace yourselves. I'm not making this up. The Chinese are reintroducing rectal swabs for COVID-19 that they will they will bend you over and probe your backside in order to test rapidly for COVID-19 at the Olympics. Uh, I actually think that it is China preparing all of these Westerners headed to China for Chinese global dominance. They're just getting you ready to assume the position if it happens and it, we would all be worse off. We got to find a way to unite the the Western powers against China doing this stuff. It's just, it's bad for all of us if, if that happens. But nonetheless, uh, ESPN, they're not sending people there. Uh, NBC News now saying that they are not going to send reporters there either. The Associated Press will send 100 reporters to cover it. NBC is going to have people covering it. They're just going to do it remotely. Now, interestingly enough, uh, you are not going to be allowed uh, to run highlights of the Olympics in the United States until after NBC has aired coverage of the particular races. That's one of the terms of coverage for NBC getting the uh, rights from the Olympics. I don't plan on covering much of it at all because I think we ought to boycott it. Um, I do, and and I got friends who disagree with me, uh, but I just I I I can't see for the life of me why we should be humoring the Chinese on this stuff. I think it'd be bad. Um, Ah, all right. Well, you know what? The other story I wanted to talk about are bank branches closing. I, you know, I'm kind of frustrated with this. Uh, my bank has closed. I'm noticing a, more and more small banks opening. Have you all noticed this in your area? There are smaller banks you've never heard of that are starting to open bank branches, oftentimes in the closed uh, branches of other banks. Wells Fargo leads the nation in closing branches. Bank of America isn't that far behind it. So much stuff is going digital, but it is really hard to deposit a check that you get uh, unless you use direct payment, which I tend to do, but I still get checks in the mail. And sometimes you need to go into the bank for other business. And my gosh, these massive banks, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase and the like are just killing off customer service. And it's making people go back to these smaller banks. And to some degree, I don't know that that's bad. Uh, small banks where they know your name and they know you might be on the verge of a banking renaissance for small town America out there. I hope so, because I kind of like the bank person to know who I actually am. You guys have a great weekend. It's 2022, and guess what? Nothing still makes sense. The whole world seems to be going crazy right now, and banks have gotten really skittish at helping small businesses. They're perfectly happy to help the giant businesses, but what about you? You're a small business, you got to buy a building or build a building, or you need a big loan for a fleet of vehicles to grow your business, and the banks are giving you a hard time. Check out my friends at First Liberty Building and Loan. They can help you nationwide, wherever you are, if you're a small business, and you need access to loans, let's say 500000 and up, 
First Liberty can do it. They've been doing this since the early 90s. The Frost family are friends of mine. They're committed Christians and they're great business people and they are committed to small businesses. Reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. FirstLibertyGA.com. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if they're a good fit for you. See if you're a good fit for them. They want to help you get to yes where the big banks are saying no. Nationwide, they can help you if you're a small business. FirstLibertyGA.com is the website. FirstLibertyGA.com. 